I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in October 2020. And today we're going to be talking about the World Wildlife Fund's plans for us to shift toward growing and eating a planet-based diet and restorative food system, one that protects wildlife and ecosystems that are in decline during an extinction crisis. Problems caused in large part because of humans' unsustainable agribusiness and fishing industries, eating habits, and food policies. Our guest is Dr. Melissa Ho, a senior VP with the World Wildlife Federation. Let me tell you about her and her organization. The World Wildlife Fund's mission is to conserve nature and reduce the most pressing threats to the diversity of life on Earth. In operation for nearly 60 years, WWF is the leading global conservation organization. Their website is worldwildlife.org. Every year, they produce a living planet report on the key drivers of extinction, and agriculture is identified as a major culprit. The report is found online at livingplanet.panda.org. So here to discuss the restorative power of what the World Wildlife Fund calls a planet-based diet is our guest, Dr. Melissa Ho, the Senior Vice President for Freshwater and Food at WWF USA. Dr. Ho has over 25 years of experience as a scientist, policy advisor, and development professional. Throughout her career, she leveraged a keen focus on the intersection of water and agriculture and its connections to energy and health. Dr. Ho came to WWF from the Millennium Challenge Corporation, where she oversaw infrastructure investments in West Africa. She also served at USAID, overseeing the implementation of Feed the Future. Previously, she worked at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where she developed and implemented the Agricultural Water Management Strategy. She also served in various capacities in the U.S. Congress. Dr. Ho earned a master's in soil science from UC Davis and a PhD in plant physiology from Penn State University. Welcome, Dr. Ho. Hi, Carrie. Thank you so much for inviting WWF and me to the program. Yeah, well, um, let's start with the, the latest WWF Living Planet Report and, and the other research that you've done to help explain to what extent is food impacting our environment? Thanks so much. Um, let me start by just saying every two years, WWF puts out this Living Planet Report, which really is uh, the signal uh, of the status of where and how our planet's health is doing in terms of tracking our biodiversity. Um, and so this past year, this report has been going since 1970, uh, and we are using data sets that we have most currently up to 2016. So it's almost 50 years worth of data so one lifetime and tracking the health and status of, of life on the planet. Wow. And so in 2020, what our report is showing uh, is pretty dire, right? The trends are consistent uh, and in a downward trajectory that is, is not good. Uh, and it really is showing that we've lost biodiversity now um, uh, and, on a consistent basis. Uh, and, and that really food systems are linked as the driver to degradation and biodiversity loss on land and in freshwater. Oh, man. And I think a lot of times food doesn't get as much attention as, as other, other types, you know, like fossil fuels or 
um, or pollution or other types of things. And so is this something newer that you're noticing or is this something always that's been a problem um, or are we just kind of recognizing now the fact that our that agriculture across the whole globe is really driving a lot of emissions, you know, greenhouse emissions and deforestation? Right. I think, um, you know, more and more people are aware that agriculture has a significant impact. Uh, I think uh, there's more evidence of this. Uh, globally, agriculture accounts for about 40% of all land use, uh, wow. 70 to 80%, and in some places, even 90% of all fresh water use. Mm. Uh, and when combined with forestry and other land use uh, changes that are driven by agriculture production, uh, over a quarter, really more like 30% of our greenhouse gas emissions globally comes from agriculture in some form. Um, and I, I think the other thing that we forget is that agriculture, in addition to greenhouse gas uh, emissions, has a significant impact on landscapes, biodiversity, and ecosystems and health, right? Just right. the pollution, the sediment, the chemicals used. We know about mm. the Gulf of Mexico um, and the dead zone, and we think of the Mississippi River system and the nutrient loading there. Uh, you know, really agriculture is the largest source of non-point pollution as well. And so it has um, lots of issues too on, you know, pollinators uh, and thinking of how uh, the web of life functions uh, in addition to greenhouse gas emissions. Wow. Given the gravity of the situation and the fact that we have to eat, what opportunities exist for us to stop this damage to nature and even help nature recover through changes in our food system, especially here in the United States? Yeah, um, you know, agriculture does have a big footprint. We do and we must have an imperative to make sure that, you know, the seven, eight billion people that are on the planet now and the soon to be by 2050, 10 billion people we expect to be on the planet, you know, there is an imperative for the agricultural systems of the world to feed and nourish all of those folks. But we have enough of that capacity, the innovation and technology and ability to do that now, right? We, we don't have to uh, worry that we're not gonna be able to meet that goal. Uh, but the current production systems as they are currently implemented um, are not respecting planetary boundaries and are sort of over stretching the limits uh, and balance of nature. Um, so I, I really think uh, in our new sustainable diets report, the living planet report, which is really tracking the loss of biodiversity over this last 50 years uh, came out in September. Um, and then in October, earlier this month, we just had a big release of a new uh, report called the Sustainable Diets Report, and it's called Bending the Curve. And it really is looking at consumption uh, and where our diets and our food choices are part of the puzzle and a part of the solutions and strategies for affecting change uh, in food systems. Um, and so that is, I think, really one of those is, you know, better production systems, more efficient, more regenerative, resilient ag systems, uh, ending food waste and loss is another, uh, but really now looking at, you know, how we eat, consume uh, food is, is another lever that we, we really need to, to think about as well. 
Yeah, I like how action-oriented your reports are and how you make so many recommendations. So let's move into that. According to WWF research, what we'll start with the personal. What personal food choices could really make a difference if each of us, especially in the United States, improved our eating habits? Right. Yeah, that's, um, and, and this is a hard like What one, should right? we do differently, maybe? Right. And, you know, eating is a, a, a agricultural act every day as a Wendell Berry, I paraphrased and I'm slaughtering it. I'm so sorry, Wendell Berry. Um, but, you know, our choices are agricultural choices by what we eat. Um, I think, you know, what we eat, where and how it was produced, the diversity of our food choices in the food basket, we, you know, go to the grocery store, farmer's market to get the levels of consumption we have, um, uh, that all has implications on the planet, but those are all personal choices, right? For ourselves and our families. Uh, and so in our sustainable diets uh, report, we advocate for a planet-based diet, as you noted so aptly <laughs> in the introduction. And it's not a one size fits all. It's not a eat this amount of that, eat this. You know, it, these are all balanced choices, but I think the kinds of principles we know uh, are that we should choose more sustainable ingredients. And by that, we mean know your farmer, know your production system, and then you know your food, right? So not all food is produced the same and knowing sort of the, and sourcing how it was produced matters, right? And this idea of regenerative resilient systems and uh, the production system is, is, is not easy to unpack always, but it, but it does matter. And there are ways that we can be more discerning. Obviously eat and moderate our intake of high impact foods, which includes things like, you know, uh, animal source protein, but also things like refined sugar, right? Or uh, a lot of processed goods that have things like palm oil in it that is also mm. a source of uh, biodiversity loss and conversion. Uh, eat more healthy foods is also something uh, we, we know we should do um, as well. And diversifying our diets, uh, eating more real food um, and, and, and minimally processed food, uh, and then ending food waste and loss in the supply chain, but also in our own refrigerators and our, in our own kitchens as well. Yeah. And is, is part of the um, deal about not eating as much sugar, for example, um, and eating healthier foods that if we ate more nutrient dense food, it's a better use of our agricultural, our land and water rather than kind of quote unquote, wasting it on, you know, junk food. Is that part of the thought process or is there something in particular about sugar or, you know, that's a problem agriculturally? Yeah, I, um, you know, I think, there are high impact commodities like sugar um, and then processed foods do require commodities that are driving deforestation uh, and have to be sourced from conservation hotspots. Um, I think the idea is that, look, our food system, as we said, is trying to meet several competing needs, right? Nourishing people and getting adequate nutrition, uh, making sure there's livelihoods for the people growing it. Uh, and also, you know, obviously the cultural and identity pleasures that food brings, it's not just about nutrition, it is also about uh, pleasure and enjoyment and personal taste. Uh, but there's also the piece about climate and nature as well. And so how do we balance all of that, right? Um, I think the idea is that certain uh, foods with high impact and high footprint, uh, they're not good for our health, 
uh, one thing. So, and, and they're not always, they're mostly not good for the planet, right? And so moderation is the key. I think um, there are lots of foods that have high footprint, but also have important nutrient density in many parts of the world. For instance, animal source products, eggs, dairy, meat, um, you know, those things uh, in some places in the world, like the US, there might be overconsumption of it for health reasons. And you can read our national dietary guidelines, the recent report, and the next one is coming out in December. Um, we are over consuming these things from a health perspective, if you read these reports. Uh, but in other parts of the world, uh, many populations need to up you know, their amount of, of quality nutrition. And so how do we balance this? It has to be on uh, you know, what's appropriate uh, in, in the place that people are at and what your, also your personal preferences are. But yes, there are some guidelines that we can, we can take um, to, to try to balance these things. Thinking about guidelines and nutrition, um, tell us about how updates to the US national dietary guidelines could play a role in helping consumers and policymakers shift to a planet-based diet. Right, great, thank you for that. That is in the US context, especially, but in the global report, that is one of the things we are recommending. Uh, and it's, it's not an easy task, but um, it is something we need to look at. So the national dietary guidelines in a given country are where rubber hits the road in a, in a country uh, where the governments and nutrition experts in that place are defining what is a healthy diet for those people, for the population, right? And uh, we want to make sure those guidelines are fully implemented. Uh, in the US, for instance, we're very much not eating. Uh, the majority of the population is not eating against those national dietary guidelines. Um, and so we need to do more and look at how we can get more and better behavior change to align with what the NDGs are saying. Uh, at the same time, what WWF is advocating for is while those guidelines are important and can be fully implemented, we need to improve and elevate the ambition of them to include not just human health as part of the, what the recommendations are, but include planetary health as well and include uh, you know, choices and sourcing of the quality nutrition that humans need to thrive, but then look at what the options and the footprint is of that food in the context of that country as well and making a recommendation uh, that, that also is going to ensure long-term planetary health. I think I remember something. Um, I love when I spit out just memories of mine that may not be exactly true, but I, I thought I remembered that like on the last time the U.S. guidelines changed, there was some kind of like carbon footprint notations in it. And then I think there was some pushback from Congress related to that. And, you know, our, our we have a really strong agricultural lobby that unfortunately pushes on a, a what our, our nutrition policies are. Right. Um, so it seemed like there was some um, pushback, I would say probably more from the Republican side on implementing, on having um, environmental concerns about agriculture be reflected in our dietary guidelines. So that I think that's a challenge for the United States, but I really love the idea that it shows that this is that our health is also the overall health of our whole ecosystems, right? And not just the health of what we physically put in our mouth. Right, right. I think, um, and that's what our ask, and one of the recommendations, again, coming from WWF, is expanding the definition and the framing and context for what the guidelines should be guiding us for, right? It is right. about food systems and our own health, um, but we want 
food systems of tomorrow to still be there and the resources right. that go into to growing yeah. them. Um, like we I, have to protect our water sources and reduce emissions and protect our forests. Yeah. And our pollinators, right? Yes. All of, all of right. that um, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the only thing I would say about, um, I think there's been a lot that has, um, has, has created, I, I, I guess I would say, um, hopefully more awareness of that ag lobby you're talking about. Um, I, I think, you know, there are sometimes different partisan approaches, but often agriculture is, is local, is, it's a regional thing. It, yeah. it sometimes does cross party lines, obviously, but yeah. other times um, it, not. Um, but I think there is an acknowledgement and recognition and we have been so pleased and really, um, you know, a lot of the industry partners do care about stewardship. They do wanna do better and are trying to be proactive. And so, um, I do hope that there would be an openness about this, you know, five years, a lot of the dialogue is changing and shifting. And I think, you know, agriculture really is the only sector that can be part of the solution. And, and we hear that from, from the sector itself. So it'd be great for them to show this leadership and, and opening up the dialogue to, to include a broader definition. Ooh, leadership, great word. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature, and I'm host Carrie Freeman interviewing Dr. Melissa Ho, Senior VP of Freshwater and Food at the World Wildlife Fund, discussing the restorative power of a planet-based diet. Their website is worldwildlife.org. Dr. Ho, besides individual consumer dietary changes, and we also talked about you know, the national dietary guidelines, what other improvements are needed at the systems or policy level? Yeah, um, I think one that I, I'm guessing a lot of your listeners may already know about is uh, the movement to uh, transform our agricultural system to be more regenerative. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, there's a lot of interest on this uh, for you know climate change and the idea that regenerative ag has the potential to store soil carbon and be a real uh, aspect of helping agriculture achieve this net zero emissions. But um, we actually see it as being motivating to farmers themselves um, and farmers being the best stewards of their own land and their own futures, uh, but also their bottom line. So there are farmers that we know and see in Indiana that are, you know, rice or not rice, sorry, I was thinking of the Tennessee farmers, uh, <laughs> corn and soy, right, yeah. in Indiana. Uh, and they have moved to be 100% regenerative and applying no inputs on their fields uh, because not only because of the environmental aspects and the reduction in soil erosion, the better water management and infiltration capacity of their fields, but also because of the bottom line. They have reduced their input costs and actually really made the, vi the economic viability of their farm so much better by going regenerative, right? They, Can I ask what um, inputs do you mean, like um, the chemicals or fertilizers or even water that they have to add um, to the fields to grow? Yeah, so in regenerative ag, there's a lot about maintaining soil health, right? Okay. There's a lot about cover cropping. There's a lot about nutrient management. Um, and, and so a lot about diversification of crop uh, crop systems, but so a, a lot of what regenerative farmers have been managing these complex systems for is to reduce the amount of uh, synthetic fertilizers they need, reducing yes. pest 
management and chemical use because they've diversified rotations. Uh, I'm not saying it's easy, right? They often are investing, on the other hand, in data management systems, in tracking, you know, um, really complex, the complexity of the fields, but it's moving away from sort of the, the agriculture of just spray and pray. Here's my formula. This is the timing. This is what I do. And so it's a very much um, a, a thinking person's field and you are using a lot of other kinds of tools and systems to man it. Precision conservation is often what it's called too. Yeah. Um, and so they, you know, some of these growers and, and an increasing number, it's not a fringe, just one or two. And, and they're farmers who are not just small farmers. These, you know, can be six, seven, 8,000 acres, quite sizable farms are doing this at scale. And again, one of the motivating reasons, yes, they've also seen in drought years or flood years, less damage, more resilience to extreme events, um, but they also see over time uh, stability of yield and uh, stability of their cost structure, right? It's not just maximizing profit and yield, but it's optimizing uh, the profitability, right? It's um, it's reducing the input costs as part of that equation of profitability. And by moving to regenerative, um, they have they have reduced that part of, of the equation for them. And one of the other things I saw that I that I liked, but we only have like one minute for you to explain this, but <laughs> it says realign US policy and incentives. And I think that deals with like subsidies. Could you just briefly explain that? Yeah, and this one is a, a, a much a whole show in and of itself, oh, I'm sorry. sure. No, no, it's okay. And it will definitely be something we look to the next farm bill, which it feels like it's a million years away, but it's not too early to be thinking about um, this in the next two years. Uh, but it is about, you know, changing the incentive structures and the federal support for agriculture and trying to move the sector to get outcomes that we want. Um, and I won't go into all the details, but, you know, farmers have a hard job of feeding us all and they deserve to have safety nets and supports. Um, but like, we also wanna move them to deliver, um, you know, and they should be rewarded for ecosystem services, right? They should be incentivized to um, not just overproduce or maximize yield, but to farm with nature. And so some of the things that we and many other organizations have been working on um, and, and some, you know, way longer than WWF is how to, how to use uh, these safety net programs, these structures, uh, to at best motivate and incentivize better behavior, but at worst to prevent, you know, um, perverse incentives or things that are only perpetuating sort of practices. Yeah, like constantly and, growing soy and corn or something to feed livestock instead of all kinds of different nutritious vegetables or, you know, things so that that could be more affordable since that's the kind of stuff that, you know, we need to be eating, for example. Right, yeah. right. Right. And, 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 and yeah, that's right. Well, um, we'll have to wrap up, but how can any interested listeners get involved with the WWF initiatives? Um, you can go to our website. Um, I think you listed it at the top. Uh, you can just Google World Wildlife Fund US uh, and you can definitely scroll through and see a range of our activities from food waste and loss to our work on sustainable commodities. Um, we have a landscape program in the Northern Great Plains, though most of our work is abroad otherwise. Um, but happy, I think, you know, you can get in touch with me. My email is on there um, and uh, get in touch with any of our experts and, and learn more about our programs through our website. I'd say that's the best first entry point. 
That's great. Well, that's the end of our show. I want to thank you, Dr. Ho, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thanks for protecting water and wildlands that all of us animals rely on to survive by (laughs) championing a transition to a planet-based diet and food system. Thanks so much, Carrie. I appreciate the invitation and the dialogue you are creating around food and agriculture. Oh, thanks. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts of the show's website on the show's website, facebook.com slash nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman, asking you to please support independent non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thank you for listening. Cheers.